Bom dia, boa tarde. Welcome to another episode of the PortugueseSoccer.com podcast. I'm your guest host, John Neves, back here again to talk about my favorite subject, your favorite subject, and that is, of course, Portuguese soccer, Portuguese football, whatever word you use in your part of the world. Episode 192, International Break, is here. And will Portugal be celebrating qualification this weekend? They are very, very close. I'll preview the Portugal-Slovakia and Bosnia-Herzegovina match. We'll also talk about the first eight-day match days of the Liga, kind of give you the most interesting statistics so far that we've seen, in addition to the fact that we've had uh, a lot of goals scored in uh, stoppage time. Also, second division report, as well as the women's report. And check this out. No surprise, the media already hyping players just as uh, João Neves and Gusalu Inácio already starting to get the media treatment of the big interest from other clubs in Europe. I had a fan that wrote to me that's not very happy about that, and I'll talk about that coming up a little bit later. Um, and then, of course, uh, we'll also do the Big Four report, and we'll talk about, like I always do at the end, my club from the fifth-tier Atlético do Jarcos, but with the little Wrexham involved uh, Ryan Reynolds' uh, team, and I'll explain what that means at the very end of this episode, in addition to, of course, your listener uh, questions. But let me start off, first of all, that this is the international break. This is a very ti interesting time of the year because for the next week we'll have international football. Then we come right back, and we're going to have Taça do Portugal, uh, the domestic football uh, cup tournament. And then uh, it won't be for another, uh, I guess, two weeks from today before we have uh, Liga Betclick uh, action. Um, so um, a lot of stuff going on, but let me just start off by saying it's very simple for Portugal. They beat Slovakia. They will qualify with still three matches left in uh, group play. Certainly in the more than 25 years that I've been doing PortugueseSoccer.com, I don't remember them ever qualifying this quickly, I believe it's going to be a Portuguese record if media reports are to be believed. And obviously they're also doing it with incredible scoring. Uh, they have yet to concede a goal uh, throughout this whole uh, qualification with 24 goals scored and none uh, conceded. And they have, uh, they've just been big. Um, we thought that this group, you know, would have a little difficulty with Slovakia, which is looks like they're the best second best team in the group. But I also thought in the beginning and that with Bosnia, they've got a history of playing in major competitions. I know Luxembourg has been rapidly improving, and Iceland. Let's you know, I guess I'm still thinking of Iceland from 2016 and that great Euro they had. But we thought there'd be a little bit of difficulty with this group. But so far, after six matches, uh, it's been incredibly a lot easier than we thought. Uh, Roberto Martinez, I don't admit to being very high on him when they hired him. I mean, I, I do think he was a good manager. I mean, he has managed some. Obviously, we know what he did with uh, Belgium. But I guess I wasn't excited. That's not to say I didn't think he could manage. I just wasn't excited, uh, if you remember back to the episode when I talked about this during his hiring. But to his credit, uh, Portugal is doing what they're supposed to do, what we always wanted them to do against Fernando Santos, and that is score a lot of goals, of which they've done like 15 against Luxembourg, and win. And they've managed to win, and um, if they win, uh, with this episode drops on Friday, on Friday night in the Dragon, they will have qualified uh, for Euro with three matches uh, remaining in the uh, group. And um, they've, uh, they've just been cruising. They haven't lost since that very disappointing 1-0 loss to Morocco in the uh, World Cup. 
and uh, they have just been uh, they just been doing well. And uh, I think tomorrow night, uh, or again the day this episode drops, Friday night, um, they should take care of business beating Slovakia. And then the question is going to be, what do they do? Do they uh, go with the younger players and rest everybody or send everybody back to Saudi Arabia, send everybody back to the Premier League? That's going to be a question to be asked next month. Although there is an unwritten rule that you still need to play your best players or most of them because obviously we have other teams in this group that are trying to qualify for second place and not to mention uh, possible playoffs. So... Um, will Portugal rest their players if they take care of business against Slovakia? And I think those are the questions that I've been talking about the last few episodes. And it's something that I'm very interested in seeing. Um, I was very surprised by João Neves' uh, call-up. Uh, that was really the only big surprise in the uh, call-ups last Friday. Of course, I dropped this episode on the day that... Um, he did his uh, selections. That was really the only uh, big surprise. And, of course, Joao Neves we're starting to see already getting a lot of attention from the big clubs in Europe, although Rui Costa and Benfica said that they don't want him leaving until, I think, 2024, 2025. I mean, he's only still a very young uh, player. But uh, Portugal has done very well. They uh, they did lose Ricardo Huerta, uh, who was released due to some muscle issues. Uh, same thing with Rafael Guerrero. But at the end of the day, I think we all know that Portugal, if they do what they're supposed to do, um, they should win. And if something goes wrong and they draw against Slovakia, all they would need is Luxembourg to lose their match on Friday, and Portugal will still uh, qualify from the group. Um, <clears throat> my 11 for this group, I expect uh, Costa, of course, as goalkeeper, Diego Delo, Antonio Silva, Ruben Dias, and João Cancelo in the back. In the midfield, I'm expecting a Vitinha, who's been playing very well. He's had some nice goals for PSG. He'll be playing there. João Paulinha will also be getting some action. Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, and then, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo and Diego Jota. And, of course, Ronaldo, not really a surprise. I think that while some people want to move on from Cristiano, I think he still has a lot to give Portugal. And, again, regardless of what you think, I mean, he's still one of the best strikers in the world, even if he's not being as productive, let's say, during his Real Madrid days or, you know, back in his uh, great days when, let's be honest with you, he had a lot of great matches with uh, Fernando Santos. Uh, and Slovakia is, look, they're the second best team in this group. We only beat them 1-0 at their place. Um, they've got a tremendous striker up front, a goal scorer named Robert Mack, and he's expect, expected to feature up front for Slovakia. We know Mikhail Tomek is going to be the right back. Milan Skrinar will again captain this team from the middle of the defense. Um, there's not really expected to be much surprises. Uh, Duda, Lobdeka, and Laszlo Benes. Um, we're all expected to feature in the lineup tomorrow in the Dragon. Uh, we saw, of course, Rafael Leon this week come out, as well as all the players asking for a big crowd and a lot of support uh, so that the team could leave the Dragon with European uh, qualification. And again, I expect that to happen on Friday night. I'll be surprised if they don't qualify. Worst case, they could take this to Bosnia. Uh, and again, we saw Roberto Martinez doing his press preview on Thursday. He's made it clear that... Uh, pretty much like he did last time, you'll see a group of players playing against Slovakia. And then, depending on that result, he'll probably put in a number of different players playing against uh, Bosnia. And again, if you're going to have as much talent as you have in front of you, and obviously everybody's going to want to play, 
I think you'll see maybe two different types of lineup. I think maybe you'll see Rui Patricio get the start against uh, Bosnia. I think you'll see Rafael Leon and João Neves get the uh, start against uh, Bosnia, especially if Portugal takes care of business on Friday against uh, against Slovakia, of course. So, look, it's been a terrific qualifying campaign. I think we have to be very proud. We haven't lost a match since last uh, December. And I think everything has just been going right uh, for Portugal and Roberto Martinez. So I tip my cap. Take a bow, Roberto Martinez, so far. But we still need one more uh, to qualify and uh, move on. And I think that's what's going to be uh, very important. And again, Portugal without Ricardo Huerta and Rafael Guerrero, who isn't in the call-up. Surprised to see that Roberto Martinez didn't replace these two players. But then again, considering all the amount of talent that he has at his disposal, um, I guess it shouldn't really uh, be a very a very big surprise that he hasn't really made a lot of changes. So that's really your preview coming up here for these uh, two upcoming international matches. And then also don't forget the under-21s will also be in action uh, with regards to their football as well. And they've got a match, if I recall, as well on uh, Friday. And again, Portugal cruising, uh, six wins, 18 points, 24 goals scored, none conceded. Just absolutely dominating uh, their uh, group. Uh, let me move on here and <clears throat> kind of talk a little bit <clears throat> about the league of bet click. And again, we are not going to have any uh, first division football uh, coming up for about uh, two weeks. But I want to look at um, basically the uh, the most interesting things about the first day match days of the season. And number one. Uh, let me just start off statistically. Best attack in the Liga, and that is, of course, Braga with uh, 20 goals. Again, they are up in the uh, top four. They're keeping it close, and they've been playing very, very well, although they did have dropped about six points in the Liga. Worst attack in the Liga is six goals, and that's Riwav. Uh, a lot of talk about their manager, who did a very nice job with them last year. But this year, they have been a uh, total disappointment, scoring only six goals in eight matches. That's barely even one goal a match. Uh, worst defense in the Liga, no surprise, it's Desportivo uh, Luchavs with 21 goals suffered. But it's important to note, ever since Moreno took over, they have won, uh, gotten positive results in the last two matches, and they seem to be playing a little bit better. Uh, most wins, uh, we've got uh, two teams with that uh, deflection, and that is, of course, uh, Benfica. Let me just double-check. Uh, you've got Benfica and uh, Sporting with uh, seven wins each. Uh, Sporting, of course, hasn't uh, lost so far uh, this season. Least amount of wins in the Liga, Aroca, with only one win. I mean, this is a team that qualified for Europe, were eliminated early from Europe. Again, I talk about that turnover that happens every summer when a good club has a lot of good players that got them to European qualification. Then they turn over the clubs, and you're seeing that very well uh, with uh, Roca. Uh, most draws in the Liga. Bovista is among the leaders with uh, three uh, least draws. Benfica um, so far has not drawn so far in the Liga along with Gilles Vicente. And, um, so, yeah, so basically Benfica has not drawn. Yeah, Benfica and uh, Gilles Vicente, if I'm looking at this correctly right now. Correct, those are the uh, two teams. Gilles Vicente, by the way, is the highest scoring team whenever they play home matches. Uh, moving on here, most matches without a loss, and that's, of course, Sporting, who remain undefeated, top of the table with 19 points uh, after eight matches. They have yet to lose. This is a stat that's generating a lot of controversy, and that is Porto, even though they've committed 
the 12th most fouls in the Liga. Um, they have 30 yellows, which is by far uh, the most in the league. I think they're getting something like every three and a half fouls called. They're getting a, um, they're basically get, getting a yellow, and there's a lot of people very upset about that. Uh, most reds in the Liga, Aroca with four, and that would explain how they haven't been uh, doing uh, very well. And most own goals uh, that has benefited them, and that's Boavista with two uh, goals. So uh, it's been a very uh, interesting season. No, really, no surprise in the Liga bed click so far. We've seen. The top four teams, along with Guimaraes as well in fifth place, kind of leading the pack. Obviously, the you know you saw Ben Boavista in sixth place with 15 points, but they've been kind of uh, tailing off a little bit in these last uh, few matches. But again, Sporting 22 points, Benfica 21, Porto 19, Braga 16, and Vitoria Guimaraes as well with 16. So Portugal's biggest clubs uh, continue uh, to uh, lead. Um, Second division report, and again, there will be no first or second division football for about two weeks with the international break now. And then, of course, you've got the Tasso de Portugal next week. But AVS, managed by Jorge Costa, who I wonder will be, is he going to be the new Antonio Oliveira, the second division? AVS leading the way with 19 points. And then you got the three island teams right behind Maritimo with 15, Santa Clara with 15, and Nacional with 15. And again, it's kind of a shame that we don't have any first division football in the Madeira or in the Asuas. Uh, that's been very fortunate. And then in fifth place, Mafra with 13 points. And then my club, Turiens, uh, kind of hanging in there in uh, sixth place with uh, 12 uh, points. They drew 2-2 last week with FC Porto B. But again, um, they're not a club that has resources for the first division. I don't know if Torres Vedras could handle that. But again, it's just a lot of fun to see them at the top after um, the great season they had last year climbing uh, to near the top. Uh, women's football uh, report, uh, they are going to be having match day four this weekend, Benfica and Braga leading the way with uh, nine points each. Then you've got three teams, including Sporting, uh, tied for uh, third place. Uh, everything gets going uh, this weekend. On Saturday, we've got uh, basically four matches with Turians taking on Familia Cone. And then, obviously, the big match uh, this weekend that will be broadcast on TVI, the private channel in Portugal that's available to anybody with the regular digital uh, TV. You don't need to be paying for satellite or cable to watch this game if you got TVI. And that's, of course, the big Braga sporting uh, match. Uh, this weekend, the Turians Family Home match, by the way, will be a Sport uh, Channel 2 match, Sport TV uh, Channel 2 match, so I think that's pretty good. And the Benfica match against Club de Albagareia is going to be on Canal 11, um, so that is it. And again, Benfica and Braga uh, leading the way uh, this uh, weekend. Uh, of course, next weekend after we get past the international break, We'll have one of my favorite competitions, one of the things that I enjoy about uh, Portugal and is really, of course, Europe, and that is, of course, the Taça de Portugal, where all the big clubs in Portugal, or at least if you're a higher-level team playing a lower-level team, all of them basically go uh, to play away. It is fantastic for some of these smaller clubs in Portugal to have the opportunities to uh, host these bigger clubs. It's what the, why they call it the Festa. It is the dream, especially sometimes since these clubs will rest a few of their bigger players, but it's the dream of these smaller clubs to basically pull off a surprise, an upset. Uh, everything gets going on Thursday of next week with Braga taking on Ribordosa AC, 
Then you have uh, basically, um, that's on Thursday. You've got three matches on Friday, which will include Benfica going to the Azores to take on Lusitania. And then you have three other matches, uh, Cuvilla taking on Portimonense and also playing on Friday. And this match will be played in Chaves' stadium uh, because the team that Porto is playing uh, is from the Chaves region. So they're going to be playing in the biggest stadium, and that's Vilar de Perdizas. And they'll be playing on Friday night. That'll be an RTP1 match, by the way. RTP1, so that'll probably going to be the match that'll be on RTP International, but I have to double check that. And again, the reason why Benfica and Porto are playing is because we've got, uh, of course, uh, if I recall, Champions League football the following week. Then you've got a whole bunch of matches on Saturday and Sunday. Um, one interesting match I saw where the higher level club is not hosting, um, and that is Santa Clara. I'm not really sure. They're actually hosting. Fourth tier Viennese. Um, not really sure what that's about. Viennese has a stadium. I'm um, not really sure why, but they're playing on Saturday. And you got basically a whole bunch of matches. Uh, a lot of these names are very hard to pronounce. You got Casapia playing one of my favorite names, Rabu, Rabu the Peixe. Uh, the team that beat my fifth tier team, Atletico, uh, Atletico dos Arcos, but the team that beat the Malveira, they're going to be playing a team called AD Marco 09, which I believe is in the district. So we not only lost, but we missed a chance to probably play a team from the uh, districts. And again, you just have a bunch of matches. Sporting gets going on Saturday of next week. That's also an RTP1 match. So that might be an RTP International. And they'll be making that short trip to play uh, Desportivo Mishkaiv. And that's also a team in the uh, Lisbon uh, region. So next week, after the international break, uh, we are going to have uh, basically domestic football. And I'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Uh, once we get to that edition. But again, I love the Taça de Portugal. I know a lot of people don't care for it because there's a bunch of names they never heard of playing. But this is when a small club has the dream of playing the bigger club and if they could pull off the upset. And last year, there were a lot of clubs from the second division that were eliminated in the third round. Are we going to see that? Are we going to see as many as six to seven clubs from the second division eliminated in the third round? Are we going to see anybody from the first division Eliminated. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe an Estoril gets eliminated in the first round. We'll see. But that's why they call it the Festa. And that ends part one of the PortugueseSoccer.com. <laughs>Part two of the PortugueseSoccer.com podcast. Welcome back. If you're a regular, you know that this is uh, the point in time when I want to take the opportunity to say thank you for listening whether it's for 10 minutes, whether it's for 35, 40, 45 minutes. If you're a brand new listener, I want to please encourage you to give this podcast a follow. I've been doing this for over 25 years. You're a Portuguese football soccer expert. Uh, I remember the football from more than 25 years ago. I remember it now. I have a tremendous perspective on the Liga, and a lot of it comes from my opinions. Uh, fortunately, when you do Portuguese football, there's no such thing as anybody thinking you're objective, but I certainly do the best I can to try to come across. And again, uh, you can follow this podcast. Uh, give it a follow on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podcast Static. I also make it available on YouTube. You want to support PortugueseSoccer.com, please give the social media accounts, even if you don't spend a lot of time on, on them. That would be a great way to follow. And, of course, give it as well a nice uh, uh, five stars, hopefully. Um, and, again, I come here every week. And, and, I, and I don't say it enough. Let me just continue to say it. Muito obrigado. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to come into your ears, your life, your phone, however you listen to this on YouTube. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity for you to listen. And again, I love these numbers that I get. I continue uh, to grow. 
And I just want to say uh, thank you very much. But let's get going talking about the Liga, the players abroad, uh, con- interesting situation with Cancillo, Big Four report. And then I want to end it with uh, listener questions. Uh, I got a mailbag. And then I want to talk and end it about Wrexham and my club, Athletic Lujarcus. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But let me start off first off saying that it's October. It's the international break. So what does that mean? Well, that means the Portuguese press are going to start reporting on all of our young players that play for the big clubs are now starting to get the big interest from Manchester United, Dortmund, Italian clubs, PSG, you name it. It's starting to happen where obviously we're talking about João Neves, who's starting to get a lot of attention. Gonzalo Nassio has been getting a lot of attention with United. Uh, Diominda from Sporting, the great center back, is getting a lot of attention. And here we are at that time of the year. I'll tell you something. Portuguese agents or the agents of a lot of the Portuguese players don't get a lot of credit. And I know George Mendes takes care of a lot of them. But um, the, the amount of attention that a young player gets, and I got somebody, who, by the way, likes my comments about this that I'll talk about in the listener preview. But again, it's just that time of the year where you're starting to hear the rumors about the big clubs coming after our younger players. Sporting has a lot of good young players. Benfica has a lot of good young players. What's going to go on with Porto and Diego Costa? All this stuff is starting to come together. And again, if you listen to this podcast, I always say middle of October, international break. I've said this in the past is when you start to hear these stories, when the agents start to call the newspapers up and say, Epa, I got a story for you. Guess who called about my player today? At least asking a few questions about him. That stuff is already starting to happen. They're starting to feed the newspapers. The newspapers are starting to give it the attention you want. And then, of course, this will all end up with these players being sold and our clubs being weaker, especially going into European competition next year. And, of course, I don't have to tell you about how weaker we're already getting in Europe and the fact that we've dropped to seventh place in Europe. And don't get me wrong. I'm very happy. I want to see these players play at the highest level. It's a kid's dream. It's the reason why Portugal has so many great young players, because these people could dream of these opportunities. But it's already starting to happen. We're starting to see a lot of the media attention, all the social media bragging about players, plushy players that they probably never heard of a year ago. It's all starting to happen again. So uh, check that out. It's just it's something that you're going to be seeing with the newspapers, at least for the next week before we get back to, especially during the Tasso de Portugal, by the way, you'll see a lot of those rumors. And then things will get back to normal with the Liga BetClick action. Um, let's get going with player abroad. João Cancelo was in the news this week. He was criticized because apparently, if I I heard correctly, he was leaving training. A bunch of people wanted autographs. And I guess if I heard the story correctly, he didn't oblige, was very reluctant. And he came out later, because I guess there was a story about it in the record. And he came out and he said, look, I don't mind giving autographs to fans, but a lot of times it's the same people that want the autographs. They're obviously selling these autographs online. And those are, to him, very frustrating moments. He wants to take care of the fans when he genuinely sees a fan. But he finds that a lot of the people complaining are the same faces he sees almost every day begging for his autograph. And this is a big problem with footballers. Um, A lot of times they recognize the same faces asking for the same autographs. Always a different item, especially the type of things that are eventually going to be sold. And this is a big thing that I think we don't understand about players. Uh, And by the way, celebrities go through this a lot, too. It's not just players. It's celebrities, too. But João Cancelo came out to defend himself this week 
you know, he does not want to be seen as somebody who doesn't care about their fans. He does, but he made it a point to say, look, it's the same people that are always hounding me for autographs. They're always hounding me to, for things that eventually they're going to sell. And I just want people to know that if people are complaining, well, who's doing the complaining and why? And I thought Juan Cancelo come out because this is a very... This is something that players go through that us fans don't hear about. And uh, sometimes, you know, players don't stop because chances are it won't be because of you. It'll be because who else is waiting for you for autographs. And I thought he came out about it, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, Juan Felix was in the news this week as well. Looks like he's taken a pay cut to play for Barcelona. Of course, uh, as we know, uh, Juan Felix, Barcelona, of course, is guy, you know, dealing with a lot of issues monetarily. And uh, there was no way in the world that he was going to be able to go to Barcelona without you know, taking a big pay cut. Well, it looks like he did that, and uh, that really made some uh, news. So good for Zhuang. I think he recognizes that he needs to resuscitate his career. He needs to jumpstart his career. And the only way you're going to do that, Zhuang, is by going to a club, fitting in, in this case financially, and let's hope the best for Zhuang, because a lot of people like Zhuang. I think Zhuang uh, Felix is a terrific player. And I'd like to see him do well at Barcelona and be the player that everybody thought he was a few years ago. Uh, sad news for Paulo Souza. I just talked about how the week before Bruno Lage was sacked in uh, Brazil. Well, Paulo Souza was sacked by his club in Italy. They just didn't have the uh, greatest uh, results. Uh, it's not been, I'll tell you, I think Paulo Souza is a very good manager. He had some very good years in Italy, uh, not necessarily with this club, but the one before Fiorentina. But Paulo Souza, ever since he left Poland, you know, he went to Brazil, didn't quite work out, and now went to, back to Syria and it didn't work out again. Um, he's one of those managers that I have a feeling we'll hear about with a Portuguese club uh, soon because um, he's probably probably spent enough time abroad and maybe he wants to go back to Portugal. But he was in uh, the, uh, the news as well this week that he has been dismissed by his club in uh, Syria. Big Four report. I want to start off first talking about uh, Braga and the club I hope will continue to be Big Four, despite some of you not appreciate me saying that. But um, Braga back into the top four in the Liga. The only club last week to win their Champions League match. Uh, Arthur Georges is showing himself to be a fantastic manager. Uh, Ricardo Huerta uh, left national team camp due to uh, not being cleared by the medical staff. He gets to go back. Uh, Simon Banza has scored in five straight Liga matches. We all know the story about Bruma. Uh, their goalkeeper, Mateus, wants to be called up by Portugal. Uh, Braga, even though uh, they find themselves down uh, six points behind Sporting, it's only after eight match days, and they have been uh, doing uh, very, very well. And I think a lot of people have to be uh, very, very happy about it. But Braga doing okay. Braga doing okay. And I think we need to give them their respect. Uh, Benfica, of course, there's been a lot of complaints that their defense is a little bit weaker this year. Obviously, they've already suffered three losses, whereas last year they didn't suffer their first, I think, legal loss, I, I think, or any loss. Um, I think they were eliminated from the uh, one of the uh, cup competitions last year early. But in terms of a loss-loss, I don't think they lost until December the 30th of last year. But, uh, of course, uh, Benfica... Uh, Basically, their defense is weaker. Their Ukrainian goalkeeper, Trubin, has been taking a lot of criticism, a lot of heat. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, uh, Benfica is just a little, you know, even though I think they have better talent this year uh, than they did last year, in my opinion. Um, but I think this also plays to the fact that not having Gonzalo Ramos, I think, has also made a very big difference. But you know what? Petr Musa 
has been sparring pretty good up front. João Mario has been a little quiet for the last four to five match days. Um, remember, he retired from the national team to concentrate on Benfica. Um, he had a great year last year. This year, um, he's been a little bit quiet the last month or so. I, I just think that's a very fair uh, thing uh, to say. Uh, moving on to uh, Porto, they, of course, uh, received a one-match stadium ban from uh, an incident, I think, with a flare going back to match day one when they were playing at uh, Mordenance. But, of course, they're going to appeal it to Todd, and that will continue to go. And, of course, uh, Porto, um, again, continue to be near the top, um, continue to have some really good young players that are playing very, very well. And again, Porto, um, they just they just continue to be uh, a very strong club. Again, they're only three points behind uh, Sporting, but they have been um, one of the best teams uh, defensively in the league. And although they do have uh, an issue uh, with the apparently they're just getting a lot of yellows, uh, which uh, you know even Sergio Conceição admitted, um, they have been in the news uh, about their disappointment uh, with the yellows. And one other note is Andres Vilas Boas. I've talked about this in the past, is decided that he will be running for Porto president. Um, I do not see Village Boas losing, uh, excuse me, beating uh, Pinto da Costa. Uh, I just do not see that. But you know something? Um, a lot of people, if they get a chance to hear about his ideas, there are some people in Porto that want to see a new leadership, uh, even though this club let's be honest, who has been still very successful, even if at times controversial. But Andres Village boas has made it clear that when he takes over, if he takes over, that he's going to be changing things and that people should expect a new way of doing things at Porto if he, in fact, gets hired. And, you know, Village boas hasn't managed, I think, in over a year, year and a half. I remember he was briefly mentioned with the Portugal job. But he has uh, been in the news um, with regards to that he will be running. And I think the next presidential election for Porto is uh, going to be coming up uh, next April, if I heard that uh, correctly. Uh, sporting, of course, has been in the news. Again, Sporting has some, some fantastic young players. We know about Gonzalo Inacio. We know about their great Swedish striker. Uh, we know about their great uh, center back, Dio Minda. Um, you know, the biggest question with Sporting is will they be able to keep a lot of those players after next summer? And again, I'm going to read a listener comment about this in a minute about that. But Sporting, again, undefeated in Portugal in terms of having not, you know, the only club in Portugal that has yet to suffer a loss. They haven't lost. They did have a draw. And uh, the bottom line is that this is probably, in my opinion, the best Sporting team, maybe since the year they won their title, when you think about all the talent that they had on that team. But it looks like Ruben Amorim has it. They want to renew with Sebastian Guach. Uh, obviously, um, you know, it's been made known by Amorim since they lost Mateus Nunes last summer. They need to make sure that the back line continues to be reinforced. And Ruben Amorim has been telling the club behind the scenes that they need to make sure that they renew uh, with Guach to uh, come back. And again, Sporting uh, continues to do a very, very uh, good uh, job so far this season. Going to get started now with uh, two very good uh, listener comments. I want to start off first with uh, Jack from Holland. Uh, Jack is, if I recall, a Casapia fan, and uh, he had a question about academies. I had a question for the next podcast, if you don't mind. What are some of the more unknown and yet still significant youth academies in Portugal, which perhaps deserve more credit than they are currently getting? Um, well, let me just say this. First off, 
In Portugal, everybody knows the big academies, of course, with the big clubs in Portugal. Obviously, uh, Sporting has the academy infrastructure. Benfica has the academy infrastructure. Porto's going to be building their academy infrastructure in the next few years in uh, Maia, right outside the outskirts of the city of uh, Porto. You know, Braga has it. The truth of the matter is, is that a lot of clubs in Portugal, especially the smaller clubs in Portugal, all have some type of youth program. Maybe it's not an academy where the kids live in a building and they get they take classes much in the way I think sporting and Benfica do it but the truth of the matter is Jack that a lot of clubs in Portugal even the smaller clubs all have some type of youth program or some type of academy where maybe necessarily the kids have to come back every day um, and train I remember Renato Sanchez he had to go constantly back and forth uh, when he was growing up as a, a player and he was always taking the bus um, uh, before he made it to uh, Benfica. So the reality is is that there are a lot of academies in Portugal. And why do, by the way, why do the smaller clubs, we're talking about everybody from even my district's club, Atletico do Jarcos, all have some type of youth program. And the reason why a lot of them do it is because of the FIFA solidarity rule where if any of your players uh, move on to a bigger club, Obviously, they're known as coming from your club, and then they get sold to even a bigger club, and let's say they wind up going to a big club in Europe. You're going to make money off of that player with your FIFA solidarity payment. So eventually, if that player makes his way up the, the Portuguese pyramid and makes it to the top and then gets sold for big money, that club that you started at is going to make money too. And you know, for a club like, let's say, my club, Atletico dos Arcos, if any of their kids... Why they make it into a Benfica and then get sold to Premier League club? The money that they get, the I don't know, what is it five percent or something like that? That money is the difference between being a fifth tier club and eventually becoming a regular club in the fourth tier. And if you manage to, in ten years, sell two players, that's the difference between moving up to the middle of the tier and occasionally making it to the second division. So the point, I guess, to answer your question is, there are various youth clubs. I think there was like one academy that's mired in controversy that a lot of the players weren't being taken care of. And and by the way, there isn't just Portuguese players that are being groomed to become players in Portugal. There's a lot of players that come from abroad and that are in these clubs as well. Um, but the point is, is that everybody club in Portugal in one way or another has some type of, even if it's not called an academy, they have a youth system that they create their younger players and then eventually they hope that these players work their way up the ladder and make more money. So I don't have any big clubs. I mean, look, we know about Braga. We know Passos has a, if I recall, has an academy. Um, all these type of clubs have some type of academy of sorts. Um, but the question is, is do they have a big academy that maybe you're thinking about like one of the big three? Probably not. But in some fashion or not, look, we all know that in Portugal, everybody sells players. It is the number one way to fund your club budgetarily. Clubs have no choice. I respect that. Uh, even if I don't, don't always like to see our young players getting sold. But that's how clubs do it. And um, again, everybody in some form or another has some type of youth uh, club uh, system. Uh, and that, of course, thank you again, Jack from Holland. Next question comes from Zef Ferreira from London, oh, one of the great cities in the world. I listen to your podcast every week, and sometimes I have to say I don't always agree with you, but if there's one thing that you do say that you are 100% right about, and that is how Portuguese clubs just sell their players. I'm a sporting fan. Finally, we are getting back to normal, competing at the top, and we have teams looking up at us instead of us looking up at them. 
But now you're hearing rumors about Gonzalo Ramos with United. You're hearing about Dio Minda possibly getting big interest. We know about our Swedish strikers also getting big interest. And it's just all quite frustrating. Zaya, you're absolutely right. It is very frustrating, but it's not going to change. Sporting needs to sell players. I think what's I think the only thing that's going to change with sporting is last summer when they sold, not this summer, the one before, when they sold Mateus Nunez to Wolves, Ruben Amarin was angry. And I think he spoke about that. And I think the club is going to be paying attention to a little bit more how they sell their players. Now, look. If somebody comes along and wants to spend $80 million on uh, Gonzalo Inacio, there's nothing you can do. Whether or not clubs will pay $80 million for a defender, I don't know. Whether or not they'll pay $80 million for Dio Minda, I don't know. Their Swedish striker, possibly. They might be able to get a good $60, 70000000 million out of him. And how happy would a lot of people be? But the reality is, is it's very hard. I mean, look, I don't like it. The publicity machine in Portugal with the newspaper plays into the hype. It creates... That excitement, it creates that value. Portuguese agents are the best for the fact that they put their players in this position to get this much attention. But this is a fact of life. Um, when I follow Arsenal, I'm used to us buying players. When you follow your favorite Portuguese club, you just got to get used to the fact that they're going to sell their best players to budget their teams. And then on top of that, you also have to get used to the fact that you're also going to buy players that you probably didn't hear about a year ago. And people are going to act like they know. You're going to get those social media accounts that act like they know these players and they're going to try to sell you on it. But the truth of the matter is that's just how it works. Bring in the unknown talent, sell them when they become big. And unfortunately, I think your club sporting is probably going to be doing that sometime next uh, summer. Um, I'm going to wrap up this uh, podcast now talking about my favorite club. And what do I mean about Wrexham, which is a club that... uh, those uh, star celebrities Ryan Reynolds ho- uh, owns in uh, in um, in uh, England, Wales, I believe. Anyway, there's a great documentary that's on the FX channel here in uh, the United States. I, I think you get that as well in Canada. I don't know if this uh, documentary about the team behind the scenes is being made available in other parts of the world, although knowing Ryan Reynolds and his tremendous business acumen, I wouldn't be surprised if they're promoting that in I wouldn't be surprised if Abola TVs be showing that one day because they tend to show a lot of these type of uh, programming with behind the scenes at these clubs. But the point I'm trying to make here, um, Wrexham, I think they were in the fifth tier last year in England, and now I think they're in the fourth tier. Um, It is amazing to me, Wrexham, that when they were in the fifth tier, and by the way, that's what this documentary is doing. It's showing the club last year, you know, when they were promoted to the fourth tier this year. It's not showing anything about this season. It's showing last season. I couldn't believe how big their stadium was. I couldn't believe the resources they had, even if it wasn't necessarily a big club. But when I think about a fifth-tier club in, let's say, England or Wales, and I think about a fifth-tier club in Portugal, what a difference. But I'm loving this episode. It does bring to mind how small my favorite Portuguese club is, Atletico dos Arcos. Um, Very small, and I mean very small club. Uh, I mean, that stadium is bigger than a lot of stadiums in Portugal they play in. I think it's about the size of sort of like Barcelos, where Gil Vicente plays. But um, I just have to say, I'm watching this, and they're living the dream of trying to get their club from the fifth tier to the first tier. And unfortunately, they'll probably get there before my club does, Atletico de Jarcos. But I just wanted to make that because I couldn't believe that they were a fifth-tier club last year and all the money they had. But getting back, talking about my favorite club, of course, Atletico de Jarcos, and... Um, it's been a, a very good season for them um, right now. 
they are sitting um, basically in a, a two-way tie for second place with Munsong. Uh, Cortino Lentz is leading the way with 18 points. So they are in the hunt. They only suffer, they haven't lost, but they suffered a draw, and that's where they lost these uh, two points. We had, I think, four teams two weeks ago that didn't have any losses in the Liga. Now we only have one, Cardinal Lentz, and they are up with uh, first place with 18 points. My team and uh, Munson with 16. And ah, we're in front of Punta Barca, who's down to 15. Suckers! But this weekend, Atletico do Jarcos uh, will be at home in the Cutada. They will be playing a club called Linenses, which is a club that's in last place. Love it, love it, love it. And uh, Cordial Lens, uh, let's see, they're going to be playing Ankara Praia, which, uh, let's see, Ankara Praia. Oh, they're having a good year, Ankara Praia. Uh, of course, Ankara is known for their beaches. They're in sixth place, so that's a tough match for that team. So, Atletico Duj Arcuj sitting in second place with 16 points, with playing the last place team in their group. Uh, Munson, who's Munson playing? They're playing Milga Sense. Uh, this weekend, Milga Sense from Milgasu, they're in 10th place. So, good opportunity this weekend, not only to win, but maybe go top of the table for my club from the fifth tier. And hopefully, unlike what happened last January, maybe they could stay there until next uh, summer. Anyway, folks, uh, I'm going to wrap up the uh, episode 192 of the PortugueseSoccer.com podcast. Enjoy international football this week. We got Tasso de Portugal next week. Will we see any surprises? Um, we shall see but again look forward to uh, talking to you next week and as always folks please take care of yourselves please take care of your families and i'll talk to you next week ciao everybody